Hey, everybody. Welcome to the World Harvest Church Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you, inspires you, and more than anything, helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus. For more information and resources, please visit us at worldharvestusa.com. Yeah. I know that's right. How's everybody doing? Y'all all right? Yeah. How was your week? Um, you know, I was... If we knew whose we were and who we were, we would never live another day of insecurity the rest of our days. I was, I was just thinking about how in Genesis 1, in six days, what did God create? Everything, right? He created the whole, the whole world. And he used it with just his words, right? That's a lot better than I can do. <laughs> and he created the world in six days with just his words. That is the best bio of all time. And then, shortly after, what did he create? Man. And so, when, after he created the world in six days, each of those six days he created it, and he looked at it and he said, it is. But after he created man, he said, it is interesting. It is very good. And then in Psalm, it says that, in, in the book of Psalms, I think it's King David writes, that he knits me together in my mother's womb. He knits us together in our mother's womb. What does that mean? You can't knit. Does anybody here knit? Raise your hand. Jeff, do you knit, bro? <laughs> Have you? Back in high school, what did you knit, man? An oven mitt. <laughs> I thought you were playing with me, but this is the real deal. That is amazing. So is Jeff the only knitter we got? Oh, we got a few. Dwayne does. <laughs> Dwayne just shoots stuff. I don't know. He doesn't. <laughs> he loves his wife. He feeds his dogs, and he shoots stuff. That's all. And he preaches the gospel, and turns wood. Yeah, okay, you do a lot of things. Okay, I'm sorry. Who knits? Raise your hand. Okay. Wh- when you knit, what are you using? Yarn, needles. Are you using your feet? You're using your hands. So if it's true that in the book of Psalms, when David writes, he knits me together in my mother's womb, what is God using when he made you? How long does it take him to make you? Nine months. How long did it take him to make the world? Which do you think is more precious to him? This isn't my, uh, this isn't my message. This is just on my heart. But Colossians 1 says something quite, quite significant. I should get to what I'm going to preach on. But this, just in case there's somebody here who you don't think you're enough, if there's anybody here who you, you're questioning your own existence, why am I here? Like Mike shared last night, man, that was so powerful. Did anybody hear that last night? He was saying how he was an accident, but he's like, but to God, I wasn't an accident. Listen, this morning, every single one of you under the sound of my voice, whether you're here right now, whether you're online, or whether you're listening to the podcast, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, Your existence is strategic. You are not an accident. My parents weren't planning me either. I was the whoopsie for sure. (laughs) But how many know in the kingdom of God there are no whoopsies? It says in Romans 8 that for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son so that he might become the firstborn among many brethren. For those God foreknew. Do you think there was anybody that he didn't foreknow? Was there ever an instance when somebody was born and God was like, oh, snap. Gabriel, hey, we need to come up with something. 
I don't know what we're going to do. This, this guy just came out, you know? Did that ever happen? No, you were foreknown by God. Your existence is strategic. He had you born the year you were born, the day you were born, in the very month you were born, in the very family you were born on purpose. In Colossians chapter 1, it says this. Let me find it here. Oh, this is awesome. Verse 16. For by him, who? Who is him? It's Jesus. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things, how many things? Are you a thing? All right. All things were created through him and for him. Did you know that you were created for him? Not to be a slave, okay? But because your existence brings him pleasure. In the same way that he spoke the sunset into existence and it makes him smile, how much more does his nine-month handcrafted masterpiece bring him pleasure when you just wake up in the morning? If, if, we, just, if we knew whose we were and who we were, we would never live another day of insecurity for the rest of our lives. When I first came here, it'll be eight years on June 13th. Uh, when I first came here, I was a born-again Christian. I, I loved God, but I didn't know him. And it was when I learned how to get to know him that all of a sudden he broke off my insecurities. And I don't know how to explain it, but I started to learn who he was. And as I learned who he was, I learned who I was. And when I learned who I was, I was like, what am I insecure about? This is ridiculous, you know? And so for now, going on eight years, I have not lived one day of insecurity since. Not one day. Yeah. All glory to God, man. So anyway, uh, that's a decent intro. Lord Jesus, <laughs> we just love you, and we thank you for who you are. Lord, help us this morning. Go ahead and put your hand on your heart or your head, whichever needs it most. And say, Lord Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus. Help me to get to know you and help me to be known by you. I want to look more like you so that I can make a difference, so that I can walk in the purpose that you've designed for me according to your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Ephesians 2.10, right? Sorry, I'm going to stay on this for just one more second. Ephesians 2 said that we are his his workmanship, some translations say masterpiece. Some say his poetry. That's so cool, right? But we are his masterpiece. Created who? Created in where? Created in Christ. Did you know you were created in Christ? That's enough to wash away a ton of insecurities right there. Is that like Luke Bryan? Oh, mercy me. It sounded like country music. Luke Bryan's not country music. Anyway, uh, what was I saying? Ephesians 2.10. <laughs> we are his masterpiece created in Christ to do something. To do what? To do good works, which who prepared in advance? Bingo. So he created something specific for you and I to do in our lifetime. 
And whatever he's created us to do, how many know he's going to equip us to do it? Even if we feel like it's bigger than us, even if we feel too small, even if we feel unqualified or inadequate, has anybody ever been there? <laughs> yeah, me every day of my life. But praise God. It's in our weakness that his strength's made perfect anyway. Amen? All right. Let's move on. Um, okay. So this is, it's all tied together, though, so just trust me on this. But um, my sophomore year in college, I – well, let me say my freshman year in college, I was playing football. Um, I was playing quarterback. I was living what I thought to be was my best life. And I was not. Like, I was saved at that point, but I was distant and I was drifting from the Lord by far. Just not, I was, I was living that whole life. You, you can do the math, you know. Um, but after I was, excuse me, I was playing football towards the end of the year, and I was on the, uh, I was in the stadium. I was the last one on the field, and I remember it was, it was, uh, it was an evening practice, and all the field lights were on, and I was coming out of the stands because we were putting some gear away, or I was putting some gear away, and I came walking out, and the Lord said, I want to use you in something bigger than football. I was like, whoo, I hadn't heard his voice in a long time. I was like, that's weird. So then I, I go into the locker room, like, I guess I'm going to be done playing football. So I go through that whole process. I finished out the whole year, because how many know we need to finish what we start? So I finished it out. And then um, sophomore year, I was sitting at my, in my dorm room at my desk. I was studying stuff I didn't care to study. I was chasing a degree I didn't care about at all. I had to go to classrooms I didn't want to sit in. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I don't even, I don't want to, I don't want to be here. Like, I don't, this is worthless to me. And, I, and the Lord started to kind of like tease me with ideas of what my, my future would look like, I guess. And um, he said something that I'll never, ever forget all my life. And this is what he said. Are you ready? This is what he said. He said, my call on your life has little to do with you and a lot to do with others. Yeah, and at first I was like, what? It's like, I, I'm offended. <laughs> I want to be about me, you know? Um, but I was, it didn't quite make sense, but now I'm starting to get it. How many know that our lives are supposed to be just pointed outwards? Just pouring into others, just loving on others. And how many know he's always all about us, right? But we get to turn that around. So um, I say all that to say, that all God needs to change a city, all God needs to, to lead a whole city to Jesus is just one person. That's all he needs. That's all he needs. The more the merrier. Right? The more the merrier. But all he needs is one. How many did he use? Remember with Gideon and the Midianites? Remember that? All it took was just one. Granted, he went and he got 300, right? But he just needed one. He, he picked Moses, and Moses was like, I need another one. And the guy's like, I just want you. And he's like, no, I can't talk right. Give me one more person. He's like, fine, you can have Aaron. Right? <clears throat> Tell you what, grab your Bibles with me. Take them out if you would. You know the drill. Ah, there we go. Hold them up. Let's see what we got. Let's see what we got. Look at somebody and say, my Bible is better than yours. <laughs> it's anointed. It's leather or paper. <laughs> and it's alive. And it is my path to life. 
This is my playbook. In Jesus' name. All right, turn with me to Romans. Romans. So this is a book written by the Apostle Paul. Who wrote it? Paul. And he's writing to the church in Rome. Okay, now in Rome at this time, this was before, uh, if I'm not mistaken, if there's any theologians in here, you can help me out. But um, this was before Emperor Nero started executing Christians, if I'm not mistaken. This is when he wrote it. But still, they were dealing with some persecution nonetheless. The, the temperature, the climate of, of the culture, the temperature was rising. Tensions were getting higher. And so the Apostle Paul's writing this letter to the Roman church. Romans chapter 1, and it says this, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Can somebody say amen? For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by what? Everything Jesus does in your life is the power of God that helps bring salvation to others. The Apostle Paul writes here, he said, the, 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 I am unashamed, or I'm not ashamed of the what? Of the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news. I'm going to be, spoiler alert, this Tuesday I'm going to be doing a teaching on what is the gospel. Because right now it's weird, man. If you ask 10 different people from 10 different denominations, what is the gospel? You get more than one answer. You know what I'm saying? It shouldn't be like that. There's only one Bible. So anyway, um, Tuesday, I'm going to do just a little teaching on that. It'll be online. You can check it out. If you haven't watched the Exploring Truth classes, how many of you have? Oh, man, y'all, you got to check it out. Gabe texted me the other day. He's like, dude, I'm like devouring this Exploring Truth stuff. And uh, it's, it's really, really good. Uh, just a little bit deeper dive into things. But the gospel is the good news, right? Simply put, it's the good news. And the good news can literally be the good news of what Jesus has done in your life. So whatever he's done in your life, the gospel is the power of God. So I guess what I'm trying to say is many of us, especially in the charismatic world, we love to talk about the power of God. Amen? We love the power of God. The power of God's everything, right? But the power of God, it is the gospel. So if we want to operate in the power of God, then we need to operate in the gospel. If we want to see the power of God, we've got to use the gospel. Now, what's the point of the power of God, according to what Paul wrote here to the church? To bring salvation. So literally, every single thing that God does in your life, every single thing he's done in my life, it is with his finger pointed towards salvation. So for example, let's say, has anybody ever been miraculously healed of anything? Raise your hand. Come on, like you're proud about it. All right. So when you were healed, how many know that was for you? Uh, just a kiss from God, right? It's like, I love you. Mwah, you're healed. Just showing off, you know, right? But how many know it's not supposed to stop there? See, he does that, but it's not meant to just stay. It's meant to be shared. It, it's literally designed, that miraculous power of God in and through your life is supposed to go through you into other people to hear about what God did, to spark faith in their own hearts. Amen. So what does it look like to be unashamed of the gospel? We're going to turn to John. 
If you still have your Bible, go with me over there real quick. John chapter 4. This isn't a real uh, complicated message, but that's because I'm not really that smart, first of all. <clears throat> and uh, somebody just said, we know. <laughs> Who was that? Who said that? Lance. If you weren't a black battle, I would kick your butt right now. <laughs> he comes out to me, he's like, man, I really want to train you. He's a black belt in jujitsu, karate. Not, I'm like spilling your beans right now, but you started it. Oh, judo? Judo black belt? I don't even know what that means. Anyway, he's going to train me one of these days, and I'm going to just karate chop people all the time. <laughs> it's going to be sweet. Okay. Anyway, thank you for the edification. Um, John chapter 4, are you there? All right. So I, I guess ultimately just to tell you straight up what I'm trying to get at this morning, at least what's been on my heart, is what does it look like to live unashamed? The Lord's been speaking to me, to me personally, this isn't what I'm preaching about, but to me, he's been talking to me about not being just a hearer of the word, but a doer. Because I'll sit in church and I'll take notes and one of our pastors or my wife will say something profound or even the Bradways, whoever, man, even people in cell or somebody doing the offering, they'll say something that's super powerful. I'll write it in my notes, but I don't want the revelation of God to stop in my notes. You know when God says something and, and you're like, whoa, that's really good. Have you ever listened to somebody preaching like, that's a good word? It can't stop there. Being a hearer only is actually deceiving ourselves. I need to be a doer of the word. Amen? So that's what I've been meditating on. And all of a sudden I feel like the Lord was birthing this because I believe if we want to see Rice Lake, Chippewa Falls, Eau Claire, Barron, Chatech, Cameron, Siren, wherever you live, if we want to see those cities saved, all God needs is just one person. Just one blazing, burning evangelist for the gospel. That's all he needs. The more, the merrier, but all he needs is one. And so we're going to look at a situation here. It's in John 4. Many of you have heard this story. It's about um, when Jesus goes to the well, Jacob's well, and he meets with the woman from Samaria. You remember that story? Now, just some necessary cultural background here in case you don't know. <sighs> Jews and Samarias were like, let's say, the Packers and the Vikings. Or the Chiefs and the Buccaneers, most recently. I'm from Kansas City, okay? It was a rough day. Um, but the, or like oil and water, Ron. Jews and Samaritans, they did not get along. It was a fierce rivalry. Who's Rice Lake's biggest rival? Menominee? Oh, for real. I thought it was going to be like Barron or something, but different division? Okay. I don't know nothing. Right, Lance? <laughs> Lord, we just pray for the conviction of God <laughs> to fall on our brother in Jesus' name. <laughs> Jews and Samaritans did not get along, just like Lance and I. They did not get along. They didn't like each other. All right, I'm done. I'm done. I promise. <laughs> no, but they they uh, they didn't get along, obviously. And oftentimes, anytime a Jew needed to go from like Judea to Galilee, in fact, I think I have a map. If we could put it up here, 
it was a shorter route to just go through Samaria. But what they would often do, do you see this little arrow that goes around the Jordan River? Everybody say detour. That's how much they did not like the Samaritans. They would literally cross the Jordan, go around, and go up north into Galilee. I don't know about you, but I'm all about the shortest distance, you know? How many of y'all, when you open up your Google Maps for the GPS, you got to get somewhere? You're like, okay, there's three options usually. This one has tolls, and it's three hours. This one's two hours. This one's an hour and a half. I'm doing the hour and a half every day of the week, right? How much would you have to despise somebody, especially on foot, to travel the longest route possible? Okay, that gives you an idea of the tension that's there. Listen, we got four-wheel drive now, and we don't even like taking an extra 10 minutes. That's why you drive 76 on the way down to Eau Claire. Am I right, Mike? Yeah, you're like, I ain't going 70. I could get there like two minutes early. <laughs> Does anybody else try to beat your GPS? Yeah, where it says like your ETA is noon and you're like, I'm going to get there at 11.55. I don't care. That's me too. And my wife's like, you're not driving anymore. Or Sam and Janae. I actually got booted out of the car, man. I mean, I didn't get booted out of the car. I got to stay, but uh, whatever. It's a different story. Um, anyways, they didn't get along is what I'm trying to illustrate. Now, here's the thing. There's a woman, and we're going to meet her in a second. She doesn't have a name. We won't call her Myra. She, that name is taken. If you don't get it, don't worry about it. Um, but this woman, she doesn't have a name, but what she does have is deep, deep shame. Deep shame. Okay, number one, she's a Samaritan, okay? So the Jewish people already despise her because she's Samaritan. And on top of that, she's completely immoral. So not only is she despised by Jewish people, is she an outcast to Jewish people? She's also despised and an outcast to her own people. Can you imagine what that must feel like? Nobody likes you. So this is where she's at. She's, she's dripping in shame. She's an outcast. Nobody wants to be around her. Nobody wants to talk to her. In fact, and this is important to say too, at this time, if there was a Jew, they would never, they wouldn't even, they wouldn't talk to a Samaritan. And if it was a rabbi, they wouldn't even, they wouldn't look at him. They wouldn't talk to him at all. So what we're about to see unfold here is Jesus destroying racial barriers. Talk about racism. I know a guy who knows how to crush it. John chapter 4, you guys ready to read with me? We're going to start in verse 3. He, talking about Jesus, left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? How many know he didn't actually need to go through Samaria? Because literally every other Jew would take the roundabout. They went with the detour, right? But for some reason, it says he needed to go through Samaria. That's interesting. I would underline that in your leather-bound, holy-than-thou Bible. You guys, telling somebody your Bible is better than theirs. My goodness. That's true. <laughs> Verse 5, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. Everybody say Sychar. I hope I said that right. Near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey. By the way, if Jesus Christ, the living son of God, can be tired from a long walk, how many know we can experience being tired? If you're tired, you ain't broke. 
not talking about money. <laughs> if you're tired, it doesn't mean you're broken. You might just need some rest. And how many know he gives the best rest? Amen. Okay. So being weird from the journey, he sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Some people debate that that was at 6 p.m., but most scholars believe it was noon, which would be the hottest time of the day. Super hot. Most people in Samaria, or in Sychar anyway, they were under shelter at this time of day. They're, they're protecting themselves from the elements, okay? Now, it's interesting. Jesus, again, he needed to go through Samaria. And how many know he didn't just have to go through Samaria? He went to a specific city, to a specific plot of ground, to a specific well, to meet with a specific person. Whenever Jesus came and he found you, can I just encourage you this morning? When, whenever Jesus came to find you, it was on purpose. Whenever, whatever your story is, those of you who are born again, whenever you were born again, that was a strategic move on God's part. He's like, I have to get to this person. He came and he found you, man. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Most women would come early in the morning to avoid the heat, but here she comes, scrolling in at noon, right? Because everybody else would come and she wouldn't go with them because nobody wanted to be around her and they would just shame the snot out of her. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, sure, I think he was thirsty. He probably wanted some water because he was weary, right? But I think that it was deeper than that. If I may suggest, Jesus can only give us what he has when we give him what we have. He said, give me a drink. In other words, give me your shame. Give me this wanting that you have for love that you have not been able to find. Give me this regret that you have, and I'll give you what I have. I'll prove it. Watch this. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Interesting footnote from John. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Can you hear the attitude? <laughs> I'm sure if it was a guy, he would add attitude too. I'm sure. All the women are like, I'm checked out. This message is horrible. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said, I can just picture him kind of grinning, you know. <laughs> like, oh, man, you have no idea. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Side note, she came to the, the well was there, Jacob's well. Why was it there? What was the purpose of the well? Water, but water for who? For Sychar. For, for anybody that wanted water, right? Anybody that needed water. Now, how many know water is essential to life? Food, water, and coffee. <laughs> Water, coffee, I don't know. Food, water, and shelter, right? And coffee. 
And what else? Hunting and fishing, getting your nails done, dogs. The well was there to provide a need for others. Now Jesus was saying, whoever drinks of me will in them receive a fountain of living water. How many know it's not for them, for, for us, when we get born again in this fountain of living water? It's not just a decorative piece for us to look at. The well, people had to go to the well to get something that they needed to live. That's why it was there. You are essential to those that live around you. Your friends, your family, your coworkers, your fellow students, whoever it is, they literally need this living water that's inside of you. You have a fountain of living water bubbling up inside of you. You say, Jake, I don't feel like that at all. I do not see the water. There must be a plug up in there somewhere. I don't know what's going on. No, you're a fountain, man. If you're born again, you're a fountain. And Jesus will rip that plug right out. He's got the best drain up. Oh. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, here's where the, here's where the bomb goes off. The Jesus bomb, I like that. You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. Talk about a mic drop. Woo! How many know Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves? How many know Jesus knows your coworker better than they know themselves? How many know you're connected to the source? How many know his thoughts for them are more than the sand that outnumbered the, the whole sand on the seashore? What would happen if God just gave you one thought for your coworker that could unlock their heart? That's a good prayer to pray. Lord, just give me one thought. Just give me one of, just this, the look. Do you know how much sand is in one cubic foot? Or excuse me, how many uh, grains of sand is in one cubic foot? Roughly a billion. Literally, I don't know who calculated that. <laughs> I don't know why they're getting paid, but Whatever. I'm going to sit and count. <laughs> Never mind. Um, but if that's true, in one cubic foot, there's, there's over a billion, or there's a billion grains of sand. And the Bible says that he has more thoughts for you than the sand on the earth. He knows the number of hairs on your head or beard. He knows when a single sparrow falls from the sky. He knows everything. If we can just ask him, Lord, I just ask you for, just give me one thought that will unlock my friend's heart so that I can plant the seed of your word, that it may grow in them to become a fruitful tree that brings you glory and fame. Oh, how much, how much does he want to give you that? It's not give me a word so I can look like a superhero. Give me a word so I can have a cool testimony. Give me a word so I can share this with my friends and show them how Christian I am. No, man, give me a word so I can see this person know you. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's one thing, way to call him, I guess. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that it, in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, 
the hour is coming when you will neither on this uh, mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is. Say now is. Look at somebody saying right now. How many know the Bible says now is the time for salvation? Many translations say today, and I get that, but if a proper rendering of that word is not today because how many know we don't know what's going to happen tonight? Now is the time of salvation. If you're here this morning, if you're listening online, or if you're listening to the podcast, again, wherever you are, now is your time for salvation. If you've never given your life to Jesus, don't wait, man. Don't wait. You might think, ah, oh, you know, I kind of want to live a little bit more loose for a little bit longer. You know, I want to wait it out just a bit. And, ah, uh, maybe right before I die, then I'll make that little prayer thing. No, you're not guaranteed anything. Most, most people that die don't see it coming. Why, why gamble with that? Jesus said, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. How many know the Father's looking for those who will worship him? When, you, when we come together on Sunday morning or Saturday night or in our cell groups or in your secret place, he's looking for you. Wow, what other God does that? None. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, here's like the nuke. I mean, this is the nuclear missile that, that's probably too violent. This is the big water balloon, the living water balloon. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. How many know, this is a, can I just detour a second? Some people don't believe that women should be in ministry, and I think that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. So dumb. No, no offense, okay, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but. I think, I think that belief is being a jerk. The very first person that Jesus revealed himself to publicly as the Messiah was a woman. The very first, the very first person, who was I talking to? Gabe, we were talking about this just this morning. The very first person that Jesus, or excuse me, the Lord revealed or announced the coming of the Messiah was who? What was her name? Mary. She spoke to, he spoke to Mary before he spoke to uh Joseph. I'm just saying. When he resurrected, who's the first flock of people that he exposed himself to as the resurrected Messiah with the best news the world had ever heard, the biggest plot twist that the world's ever seen, the best movie that's ever played out? Who was he revealing himself to? Was it a bunch of men? It was a group of women. Man, this is one plus one plus one equals three. And there, there are two books in the Bible named after women. Come on, man. Just a little detour. I just thought it was worth mentioning. <laughs> Jesus is awesome. Of course he would go to an outcast. Some of us, we think we're, we, unquali- we disqualify ourselves because of our own, I don't know, sin or our own heritage or our own social status, our own financial situation or whatever. 
But Jesus went to literally, arguably, one of the lowest of the lowest people you could go to, and she was the one that he decided to reveal himself to as the Messiah publicly first. Listen, man, as far as I can tell, to, be, to encounter Jesus, the qualifications are pretty simple. Be, forgive me, but be a screw-up. <laughs> Check. That's all it takes. How many know, dude, Moses was a fugitive. King David, he was an adulterer and a murderer and a deceiver and tried to get a dude drunk. And God's like, oh, he's a man after my own heart. (laughs) Woo. I guess I'm in good shape, Lord. (laughs) Whether you have a criminal history, maybe you've been in jail. Maybe you have something that's attached to your history that will be with you to the day that you die. Guess what? The blood of Jesus in the kingdom, you're washed clean. You are washed clean, my friend. Don't let anybody shame you, ever. When God came and he found you and you gave your life to him, All of that was washed away, and you were a brand new creation. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Why do you think that is? (laughs) Because she was a Samaritan. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, who did she talk to oh that's weird a woman taking the good news of Jesus to a bunch of men no you can't do that you can't do that no only men Jesus had a different idea Oh, Jesus is awesome. She, but watch it. She left her water pot. Do you see that? One encounter with Jesus, and she forsook her water pot. She, she forgot why she was even at the well. And she, she burned out of there so fast, it would make your head spin. She runs into the city, and she starts talking to all the men. Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. How many know right here, right now, she did her job? She led, listen, dude, she, all it takes is one person to lead an entire city to Jesus. How many know it's not our job to save anybody? There's one Savior. How many know it's not our job to heal anybody? It's not even my job to give or to come up with the prophetic word for somebody. It's not my job to get the word of knowledge. It's my job to just be available. It's my job to just open my mouth. Listen, one believer, just one believer who has an encounter with Jesus can lead an entire city to Jesus Christ. This is what it says right here. Come see a man who, this is her message. This is her five-point sermon. This is her theological stance on evolution. This is her apologetic message. This is her TED Talk. This is all of her wealth of knowledge. This is her rich biblical background. This is her Sermon on the Mount. 
Go back. Where is it? Go back one. Come. <laughs> That's it. See a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That's her message. She preached the good news, Dwayne. That's all it takes, man. Listen, some of y'all, y'all are just looking at me funny, but it's okay. Look, I know what it's like to think, man, I need to know more before I share my faith. I, I haven't been saved all that long, or I've been saved so long, I should really know more. Right? And then we disqualify ourselves because of just that, not even including, like, the sin issues or, you know what I mean, when we told somebody off that we shouldn't have or whatever the case may be. That's all it takes. Come. See a man told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? You decide. How many know Jesus will take it from there? In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But when he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? <laughs> Thank God he picked just normal people, you know, just like us. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I believe in Matthew 6 when Jesus was saying, pray in this manner. Give us today our daily bread. This is just me, okay? This, I'm not saying this is what it says, but for me, I read that as him saying, not just give me my daily bread like my needs for today. Give me my daily your will. Give me, my, give me your daily assignment, Lord. What, what do you want me to do today that I will fulfill it? Do, not, do you not say, there, is, there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. Isn't that the business you want to be in? Come on, man. Isn't that the business you want to be in? You get those wages, you get fruit that's for eternal life. I want to be a part of that business. It's evangelism. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. How many know one sows and another reaps, but we all get to rejoice over the same thing, right? For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. How many know this is a teamwork? We all need to do this together, right? Like when you engage with somebody at the store or you go to the auto parts store and you got to pick up something and you just tell them, hey, man, I just want you to know Jesus really loves you, bro. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your week and you leave. You may not even realize that his grandma's been praying for him for years, just sowing, 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 sowing. And you might actually, just by that one statement, you might actually get to reap that harvest. And he might, because he might open up to you and say, dude, it's crazy you say that. My grandma's been on me. Dude, I've been running from God. I need to give, back my, give my life back to Jesus, man. Oh, well, that's, yeah, let's do it right now, right here, right now. Pray with me, man. And then you lead him to Jesus. It's that simple. But how many know it's a team effort? What if we looked at every single person as a potential harvest? Like, hey, you know, I don't know if anybody's sown there for a while, but I'm going to sow something. I'm going to water a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Am I, is this boring this morning? I'm sorry I'm not, like, screaming at you, but this is just, I think this is important. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of what? Because of the word of the woman. <laughs> They believed in him because of the woman who testified, he has told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. How many know your word, your experience, precedes their experience? 
your, your experience with God, your testimony precedes their testimony if they're not yet saved. you see what I'm saying? Are you all with me? Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Man, all God needs is one person. Just one person who's on fire for Jesus for their school. For their job, for wherever you are. You might think, like, dude, there's no way that I'll ever, you know, preach. Does that mean I'm supposed to get on stage, grab a microphone, and preach and all that? No. No, that would be, that, I mean, I guess that would be cool, but... Um, God doesn't need everybody to be preachers of the microphone. God needs preachers in the workplace. Because, dude, like my wife and I, like we'll never be able to reach the people that you're with. You know, there's no way. God needs you. Your coworkers need you. I feel like when Paul was talking about the ministry of reconciliation, remember that? Remember, he's like imploring, he's like, please, like, please do this thing. In fact, I'm just going to read just a few more things to you. The only thing standing between Jesus and the Samaritan city was this woman. The only thing standing between Jesus and your workplace, it's you. Do you not like that or does that like freak you out? Or? Dude, we're going to get to heaven someday. We're all going to die. And we're going to face the Lord, right? I don't want to look back and regret not opening my mouth. There was, there was, this, um, there was this secular comedian guy. Um, I'd play the video for you, but I can't. But he was saying, he's an atheist, like staunch atheist, all right? And he was telling a story about how this Christian guy came up to him after one of his shows. And he just said, hey, man, I just wanted to give you this book. It happened to be a Bible, a Gideon's Bible. He was like, hey, I just want you to know, man, you're a really great comedian, really funny, dude, really appreciate you. I just want you to know God loves you. Gave him a Gideon, and he walked away. And this comedian gets on YouTube, kind of like you, Jeff, and he's like, all right, guys, so here's what happened. This dude came up to me, he told the story. And this is what he said. He's like, you know, but I'm not mad at him for sharing his faith with me, even though I don't believe at all in what he has to say. But this is what he said. This is, this is a not yet believer, okay? This is what he said. He said, you know, how much... Would you have to hate somebody if you were standing on a sidewalk and you saw a bus coming down the street and you're, you had a guy, a stranger, perfect stranger walking by you with his headphones and wasn't paying attention. He's about to walk out there and you see the bus coming and you see them walking out. How much would you have to hate them to not grab them and pull them back in? I heard that years ago, but it marked me, man. Th that was a better message than I've heard in some churches up until that point. I'm going to give you three keys to seeing your city encounter Jesus. Only write these down if you really want to see your city transformed. If you really want to see people in your life saved, these are for you. Number one, encounter Jesus yourself. Number two, tell others what Jesus did. Number three, let Jesus take it from there. Number one, beat Lance up on his way out. I think if we all jump him, we can get him. Dan, you'll help, right? Okay, sweet. Man, if we got Dan, we know we're good. Number one, encounter Jesus yourself. You can write the verse Matthew 6, 6 down if you want a little extra credit. Encounter Jesus yourself. 
Number two, tell others what Jesus did. Number three, let Jesus take it from there. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Dude, hey, y'all chill out, man. We're going to get a new building sometime. We're not going to hear the kids freaking out, all right? <laughs> I kind of like it, though. Remember Jesus? He's like, bring the kids to me, you know? He, lo- he loves them. All right. I got a bunch of stuff here. We're not going not gonna to share it, but I'm just going to read one more passage to you. Is that okay? All right, all four of you, listen to this. This is going to be good. I know everybody else, you said yes in your heart. I heard it. I heard it. There's three different instances where this happened, but I'm just going to read one. This is in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Now a leper came to him, coming to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. How many of that's a great day? As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. By the way, Jesus said, even greater works than these will you do. And he strictly warned them and sent him away at once and said to him, now, now Jesus strictly warned him, watch this warning, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now watch this. This is so funny, dude. How many know he strictly warned him? Okay, Jesus, imagine he strictly warns you, Jake Bradway, say nothing. You understand me? That's what just happened. Watch this. However, (laughs) he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Jesus told him and a bunch of others to not share their testimony, but they couldn't help it. Unfortunately, it's quite the opposite for many of us, where he tells us, hey, share your testimony. We're like, uh. I was so convicted when I read that. Are you, are you hearing me, man? I'm sorry. I'm probably just boring the snot out of you. I'm not trying to. <sighs> Jesus healed people. There were two blind men. There was a deaf and mute guy. He healed them. And he said, hey, don't say anything. And they went out and they shared the good news everywhere. And then we look at us in America with all these freedom, with all these rights, with so much freedom. Yeah, the country's getting a little bit darker. But that's because we need to get a little louder. It's not the government's fault. It's our fault. If we're mad about the country being where it's at, maybe we should take a look in the mirror. Too strong or what? I'm talking to myself now. Nobody's, ex- nobody's exempt here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? doesn't matter. All right, do me a favor. Would you stand with me? All God needs is one person. All he needs is one. I wonder if there's one here. <laughs> I wonder if there's one here who would be so unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation, that they, everywhere they go, they can't help but share the good news, just like the blind men, just like the leper, who they just can't help but share their faith. I wonder if there's one here. Hmm. I wonder. I'll take 100. You know what, Dwayne? I was thinking about that. There, how many are in here? How many think? Let's call it 200, all right? So we got 200 in here. If every single one of us just shared our faith just once this year, how many of that's 200 seeds that were sown? Okay. 
What if we, what if every single one of us, all 200 of us, we shared our faith just once a week? What's 200 times 52? 10,000? Okay, that's 10,000 seeds. What if each one of us just simply led, just we prayed and we fasted for our friends and we helped lead them to Jesus and they got saved? Just one person this year, how many people would be saved in a year? 200. And then what happens if those 400 did the same thing in the next year? Then how many people are saved? 800. And then you do it one more year. And then it's, and then after that it becomes 32. It wouldn't take too many years. Less than 10 years, all of Rice Lake would be saved. I don't know, man. Maybe this is too practical. I don't know. I have no idea. Close your eyes, would you? Is it okay? We don't have a piano, so this isn't like super anointed or anything, you know. We're just going to have to go with the truth. I don't think they had a piano in the upper room either. It's a good word. <laughs> pianos are great, though. We love pianos. I'm not saying that. Man, close your eyes. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> this is between just us and the Lord, okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, all God needs is one. All he needs is one. And I don't know about you, but I want to be the one. Just like my wife said last night, I want to be the Caleb. I want to be the Caleb. If you're here this morning and you want to be the one, and I'm, not, I'm not asking you to respond to my message. I'm not asking you to respond out of emotion. I'm not asking you to respond to anything other than the, the impulse of the Holy Spirit inside of you, the conviction that you felt this morning, if you felt it. If you felt his voice nudging on you as we were sharing this, as we were talking about this, if you felt that conviction, you're like, man, I want to open my mouth. I want to be a part of the solution, not the problem. I choose to go into my workplace and to be the light of the world. If that's you and you want to, you, you're serious about this and you genuinely want to do this, I invite you to raise your hand right now to the Lord, showing him your hand, saying, no, I want to be the one. I want to be the one. I want to be the one. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Go ahead and put your hand on your heart, would you? Say, Lord Jesus, here am I. Send me. I'm ready. I don't know what I'm doing, but you'll give me the words, and you'll help me along the way. But the least I can do is give you my mouth. So here it is. I give you my mouth. I give you my mind, my hands, my feet, my heart, my soul, my everything. You are king, and I am yours. So let's do this thing. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to you. Lord, even those who didn't raise their hand, Lord, I know they probably raised it in their heart. They're like, I don't need to raise my hand. The Lord sees me. Yeah, that's true. Lord, all of us want to be used by you, every single one of us. And, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who feels like they have to clean themselves up first, I pray that that would die and that they would have an encounter with your grace in Jesus' name and that they would experience your empowerment in Jesus' name. And, Lord, I even just pray right now all around this place. Go ahead and just lift your hands like this right in front of you. I just pray for a fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Lord, when you poured out your Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, did they speak in tongues? Yes, but more than that, they were all moved with boldness to share the gospel. So, Lord, I just pray right now for a fresh and filling of your Holy Spirit that each one of us would be bold with the good news, that we would not keep the good news a secret, but we would publish it everywhere. Oh, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. 
I thank you, Lord. There's a bunch of warriors in here. There's a bunch of heralds in here that are going to take your good news everywhere. So we thank you for it, and we bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody shout it. Amen. Amen. All right, God bless you all. Have a good week and hug somebody before you go, except for Lance. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss any new messages. To learn more or to get connected with us, please visit us at worldharvestusa.com. God bless you all, and we'll see you next time.